Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Shopping for a vehicle has been so incredibly tough lately. I'm going to talk about where things are going and how you can navigate the market through the spring selling season. And later, I want to talk about another financial decision that's been really, really so hard for the last several years, and that's buying a home. I want to help you avoid what could be a tough financial mistake. I hate to use the word mistake, that buying a home is a mistake, but I need to talk you through that, and I'll do that later. So a friend of mine called me just a couple of days ago because his son bought a used SUV just a couple of weeks ago with pretty high mileage on it, had over 100,000 miles on it, looked great, bought it, broke down cold the first day he owned it, just fried, and turned out the vehicle had a defective or bad engine in it. Not a mechanic. All I know is that his son didn't get a full day out of that vehicle and paid serious money for an SUV, almost $20,000 for an SUV that had over 100,000 miles on it, and the thing needs major engine work. Now, this dovetails with the number one contact we're getting from people to our off-air or off-show Team Clark Consumer Action Center. Number one thing we're hearing now, and this is a new pattern, number one is people buying used vehicles right now, desperate to find wheels, and they're buying vehicles that they're paying good money for that turn out to be junk. And what is the consistent theme that has been true with, as best we can tell, 100% of the people who've contacted us? They did not have the vehicle they were buying checked out by a mechanic prior to purchase. If you're buying from somebody like CarMax, CarMax now gives you 30 days to decide if you like the vehicle. That's plenty of time to have it checked out by a mechanic, even if you think it's going to be a good car for you. As CarMax says, their ad agency, I give them credit, you can first like a car before you fall in love with it. And Carvana gives you, if I remember right, seven days to return a vehicle for any reason. And this is a movement in the used vehicle purchase business 
but it's only a sliver of it. Most sellers of used vehicles, traditional franchise dealers, and independent lots, the second you sign the papers, you own the vehicle. There's a sticker on used vehicles that is a white sticker with black bolt uh, block lettering that has either as is no warranty checked or it says with warranty and it explains it. Know that when you buy a vehicle that has the as is no warranty checked, what that means is, and this is the way the law works in almost every state. I think there's maybe two states in New England that have some protection for used car buyers, but that's it. But I wouldn't even rely on that. The things that the salesperson tells you mean nothing. Something the owner of the lot tells you means nothing because all that matters is that you bought a vehicle as is, no warranty. And you cannot rely upon anything that anybody tells you about how it was driven by a little old lady who just went to church every Sunday. I promise, yeah. So know that what you're told means zip. All that matters is the paperwork you signed where you're agreeing that you bought a vehicle as is, no warranty. You must have it checked out by a mechanic. The other thing is with used vehicles, harder to do now, but I want you to comparison shop that, that make and model and the miles, which is much easier to do now than it used to be, is you're able to comparison shop listing to listing to listing that are available online. I used to talk about looking at Edmonds, Kelly Blue Book, NADA, but that is not as relevant in a time of escalating prices. You get a better feel by looking at all the online inventories that are listed there. And for more specifics about how to buy a used car, I have my used car buying guide at Clark.com. Now, one of the oddest things I have to tell you is that all through the years, I talked about the value of buying a couple-year-old used car. Historically, a vehicle would lose a third of its value in the first year of ownership and continue to trend down in value second year down. Today, because of the shortage of vehicles in the country, in one of the most ironic things I could mention, a lot of vehicles are selling for less new than they're selling for as a nearly new vehicle, as like a year-old vehicle. I have not shared with you that I sold a vehicle recently for just a whisker under $19,000 more than I'd paid for it 13 months before. I turned around because we have the privilege of not having to have that vehicle. I turned around and ordered a new one for substantially less than what I was able to sell the used one for that I made all that money on because I was willing to wait.
And that's one of the key pieces of advice I want you to know if you're looking at buying a new vehicle. Almost every other country on planet Earth, you buy a vehicle by ordering it. There's no, we have a ridiculously inefficient new vehicle selling system in the United States where dealers have these huge pieces of land and they inventory in a normal time, because right now they don't have the inventory, but in a normal time, they're inventorying a lot full of vehicles and they're paying what are known as floors. Floor is an industry term that every vehicle sitting on that lot unsold, they're having to pay daily interest on. So when they have those acres and acres and acres of lots, they're having to not only cover the cost of having purchased that vehicle from the manufacturer, they're then having to pay for all that land, all the security they have to have with that inventory there, and then they're having to pay all that interest charge for those vehicles sitting there. Everywhere else in the world, I'm trying to think if there's any exception to this. Maybe Canada would be an exception. But pretty much everywhere in the world, when you're interested in a model, they'll have ones you can go test drive. And then when you decide what you want and you order that vehicle with the equipment you want on it. And right now, that's the cheapest way to get a vehicle when you're buying one new is to place an order. There are some dealers in the country that are taking advantage of the temporary shortage of new vehicle manufacturing, and they are marking up beyond manufacturer-suggested retail. But all you have to do is shop around. You'll find dealers for whatever brand it is you're interested in that aren't doing that thing. And so if you buy a vehicle that's on a dealer lot, they tend to option them up. They add all kinds of things on them that run the price up on you. And they might even do ADM, what are called packs, where they'll put junk on the vehicle that they'll, um, they'll put like stripes on it that cost them uh, $10 to put on. They'll sell them to you for 800 And they'll say, you got to take them. The stripes are on the car or things like that. So if you order the vehicle, you don't have to deal with any of those games. You got to wait for it, but then you'll get a lower price and you'll get the vehicle exactly as you like. And that would be the smartest thing to do now. Uh, Another thing is that the shortages of vehicles are gradually going to ease. The used vehicle prices have been coming down in the United States. And the manufacture of new vehicles will steadily increase this year, barring any disruption from war in Europe, the supply of vehicles will steadily increase. So I believe that the worst of the used and new vehicle shortages are now moving into the rearview mirror, bad pun, and that looking forward, things will improve on the supply-demand issue. Krista? So we have some questions about cars. Mark in Utah says, I bought a 2019 Mazda CX-5 with a rebuilt title from a sketchy dealership. 
The check engine light came on recently, and when I was pulling codes, the reported mileage on the OBD2 scanner was 78,000 miles, but my dashboard says 42,000. How is this possible? The problem is I bought it maybe a year ago. Is there anything I can do? Yeah. So, Mark, I don't know that it will help you, but it could hurt that dealer. Uh, Utah, like every other state, has a, a board that takes complaints about dealers. And if there's a pattern at a, at a dealer of doing odometer rollbacks, which is a serious crime, you file a complaint with the board in Utah that oversees the car dealers. And in theory, there will be an investigation. And if there was an odometer rollback that was going on there, over time, they'll hear complaints from others. And the dealer could hopefully be put out of business. But when a dealer sells a vehicle that has had an odometer rollback, you have been harmed to many thousands of dollars on that CX-5 between what the vehicle would be worth with 30, wow, almost double the miles on it versus what it was sold to you for. And the proper thing would be for the dealer to compensate you. Now, as to what you could do to directly get your money, you'd have to see what the limits are that you could sue the dealer in small claims court in Utah for the harm you've suffered. And you also would have to figure out what would a CX-5 be worth with 42,000 miles used versus 78,000 miles used. And that would be the amount of money you would be seeking in a small claims court action against the dealer. But this is a serious problem that various technologies have been adopted to try to prevent. But dishonest players have continued to figure out how to do odometer rollbacks in spite of the new technologies. And from Vern in California, Dear Clark, I have to replace a car, and after contacting several dealerships from online searches, I noticed almost none of the replies referenced the vehicle I was asking about. They almost all say, are you still looking for a car? Is there a trick to avoid the robo-replies and spam and get the right person to get simple questions on the, about the car answered? So... If you're trying to buy a new vehicle, Vern, I want you to use one of the car buying programs rather than contact the dealers directly. What dealers do, and not every dealer does it, but they will post vehicles for sale to generate leads that the vehicle's one that's long since sold or actually never existed in their inventory. Or right now, it could have sold right after the It could have sold the second it was posted, except... Uh, that is possible. But if you try to buy a vehicle through one of the car buying programs like the Costco buying program or any of the trade associations you're a member of, an insurer you're a member of, any of the groups that, that use the membership base as leverage, and in the case of Costco, they'll have one dealer in your area in California that sells that brand. There's the Costco price. No games, no gimmicks allowed. And if they play games or gimmicks, they get tossed out of the Costco auto buying program, which no dealer wants to because the Costco membership is one of the most affluent membership bases in the United States. And so messing with a Costco member 
is a really bad idea on the part of a dealer. So in a time where there's vehicle scarcity and there are people playing games, there's security and safety in numbers through a membership-based buying program rather than doing the shopping on your own. And an update from Danny in Kentucky. Clark, if you remember, the DoorDash driver crashed into his um, home, I believe it was. Right. Clark, thank you for the recommendation to take DoorDash to small claims court to recoup $800 of damage to my property after they blew me off for three months. I filed the claim, and two weeks before the court date, their attorneys called to negotiate a settlement. They were sorry for the miscommunication and wanted to pay me the $800 right away. I told them I'm happy to just meet them in court. They quickly wanted to compensate me for my time, and we agreed to $700 for my extra effort. So a total of $1,500. How wonderful is that? Because you never know, if you're dealing with an illegitimate organization, filing an action against them in small claims court will not typically get you compensation that you can collect. If you're dealing with a big bureaucratic enterprise, filing an action in small claims court will often bring a response from their outside counsel or their inside counsel, and they'll say, what do you want? And in this case, it worked, and that's the way the process is going to work. Now, one of the things that has come up before is they tell me I can't sue them because I've agreed to arbitration. But this is a circumstance where there's no such because in this case, Danny was not their customer. He was a victim of something that happened from one of their drivers. And that's why he had the right to go to small claims court instead of having to file in a kangaroo court arbitration. So great news. Thank you for taking the time to follow up and let me know that it worked. And there's been kind of a panic in home buyers, especially first-time home buyers, with what's going on with housing supply and interest rates. But I'd like to talk to you about strategies for buying a house right now in a very difficult time to do so, and that's coming up. There's a double whammy trying to buy a home right now. We've had this big run-up in prices, and uh, particularly I was looking at a heat map of home prices around the country, and if you look at coastal California, Portland metro area, Seattle metro area, Denver metro area, uh, some resort areas, but those are really second home buyers, and then uh, the mid-Atlantic, northeast, and a lot of Florida, the price rises are just shocking on homes. And I'm sorry if I didn't mention the pain in the metro area you're seeking a home because the pain has been pretty widespread, just more magnified in the areas that I just mentioned. And so here we are at a time that interest rates have been rising. They've fallen back a little bit on homes because there's more of a chance of recession because of war in Europe. But it is a really, really hard time to buy. And you've got the lack of the benefit that people had before, that they knew they were buying at an inflated price, 
but mortgage rates were so exceptionally low because of all the indirect subsidies that the Federal Reserve was pumping into the marketplace. So we were having these uh, historical record low mortgage rates. So if you stayed in a home long enough, you could compensate for paying uh, what feels like an inflated price for a home because if you stayed long enough, the ultra-low carry costs from the ultra-low mortgage rate would make it all better, you know, that it, over time you would be fine. Today, a much harder call with interest rates being higher and home prices still being inflated. It means that you've got to be very, very comfortable with buying something at what could be a peak of the market for housing. Hard to read that right now, but you have to know that this is a time that calls for more uncertainty on your part. That it's not, even for the longer-term buyer, it's not a slam dunk right now to buy a home. It's hard. And it's made even harder by the fact that rents have been rising along with home prices. Why? Because neither market is in isolation. We have a significant shortage of millions of housing units in the United States. We also have a push-up in prices for homes because of the fact that interest rates were so low it helped feed the rise in home prices. So now it's more a toss-up in much of the country whether you remain a renter or you buy a home. It is a tough call, to, and I can't really say, go ahead and buy a home. One of the patterns in a lot of the automotive-dependent metro areas in the United States is people have responded to the price signals of the market by going much, much further out. And the effect of that is that if you, let's say you're somebody right now who's able to work remotely, or you're even only having to work in an office where you're doing an ultra-long commute a day or two a week, you don't know how long you're going to have that job. You don't know if you're going to end up in a job. You have to come in to a central city or close into a city five days a week and you're way, way, way out. So I know you'd look from me, just say, okay, so you want to buy a home right now, do this, 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 and this, and go ahead and buy the home and everything will be great. And I'd love to do that. But right now it requires, and it's hard when you're buying a home because buying a home is not just about money. It's an emotional decision for a sense of permanence in your life, something like a milestone in life. But I encourage you to be very, very careful right now in buying. And what do I mean by that? It's very important that you have your financial house in order in a time of uncertainty with the stakes being higher in home buying than historical to have your own financial house in order before you proceed with buying a home in a difficult market. I want you to 
have extremely low or no levels of debt with other things in your life. Absolutely no credit card debt, no personal loans, nothing like that. I don't want you going out and buying a vehicle and taking on a payment at a time that you're going to have to buy a home when the stakes are higher and the risks are higher. So get your own house in order first and don't short cycle the purchase of a house, meaning at a time that home prices are high, don't buy a house for a short ownership cycle because there's too many risks that you could get burned. And with that having been said, Krista, I have a question you about have a question this. related yes. to exactly the home ownership cycle. I do. This is from Chris. My spouse and I are moving to Hawaii this summer. We work as civilians for the federal government and are trying to figure out what to do for housing. We will be in Hawaii for a minimum of three years. The longest we would stay is seven. We have 20% saved for a down payment, but we heard your advice of not buying if we will be living at the location less than 10 years. We're confused about leasehold options in Oahu because we're not familiar with that or if we should rent normally without a leasehold agreement. We do have the option to rent on military bases, which might be more cost-saving. Should we buy, leasehold, or rent a place? Okay, leasehold is something that is pretty common in Hawaii, and I've never liked it. You're buying the right to live in a place that somebody else owns. It is the oddest thing ever. And I am familiar with situations where communities deteriorated over time because nobody wanted to spend any money because they didn't really own the place. They only owned a right to live there for a period of time. In your circumstance, you laid out a perfect scenario to rent. Let's convert that into months. You're looking at being there as little as 36 months. You're a renter. And uh, anybody who has access to base housing on a military post in Hawaii pretty much wants that because it is such an affordable option. A lot of young sailors will live off post because they want the freedom to be kind of crazy in their off hours. Uh, but from a financial standpoint, in the Hawaiian Islands, almost always it is more economically viable to live on post. But if you can't find base housing that is more affordable, still, I would have you as a renter. And thank you both for your service to our country. This is from Joe in Florida. What are your thoughts on buying a MacBook Pro refurbished? I know they're not first generation, but they are a fraction of the price. If you do suggest them, what sites do you suggest I buy them from? Can I buy an extended warranty after a year on a refurbished Mac? So right now, um, and by the way, um, I'm sure there are people who do technology that would have an answer potentially different than mine. But I would not buy a Mac used right now because there's been such a watershed moment with the MacBook Airs and the Pros going to Apple's proprietary chip. The customer satisfaction with the Macs that are sold with the M1 line of chips is so much higher than it was with the third-party chips that used to populate pros and airs, that this is a time that I would look at buying potentially a new MacBook Pro. 
the prices on the MacBook Pros are better when you find them on sale than they used to be. Apple has become a more price aggressive player because Apple always stands the danger in the computer area of being a boutique brand. And they just lost too much market share to Google Chrome and to the Windows computers. And so they become more price competitive with the Airs and the Pros. And I would really prefer that you buy a new one. Make sure there are new ones for sale that run on third-party chips. Make sure you buy that MacBook Pro with the M1 family of chips. And from Richard in Oklahoma, I'm looking to obtain a credit card with no international credit card fees. As a veteran, are the USAA sponsored cards a good deal? Yes, they are. And if you are still eligible for membership in Navy Federal, Navy Federal has more aggressive cards than USAA. But they both offer cards with no foreign currency junk fees. And there are a number of cards available, being USAA member, there are a number of cards available from competitors that are great for international travel that offer as much as 2% cash back and no junk fees. And i like for you to look at those as well. We have a list of those at Clark.com on our credit card buying guide. We have Buying guide, yeah, whatever you call on it. the main menu it says credit cards and yeah, we've got lots just of just click on it you'll there. see the guide but anybody who does international travel it is a crime against your wallet to ever use a card that has foreign currency junk fees and unfortunately even today um, it's not at all out of the ordinary for a credit card to have a junk fee of as much as 3%. One last note with that If you are traveling overseas this summer, people are out of practice with that because of the last few years of COVID. There's a trick of the trade now at retailers, restaurants, hotels, anything like that overseas. They will ask you something as a benefit and ask if you want your transaction cleared in dollars. And you feel like, wow, aren't they nice? Uh Uh-uh. That is a con game from the Visa, MasterCard merchants in conjunction with the retailers, restaurants, hotels, the rest. You want your transaction cleared in the local currency of whatever country you're in. Because if you're using a card that has no foreign currency junk fees, when you say, oh, sure, go ahead and clear it in dollars, you just fish hook and mouth. You just got caught by the ripoff artists because then they charge you a currency exchange fee taking that purchase from the local currency into dollars and then posting it to your statement. So you always want clearing in the local currency. I hope that made sense. And I want to thank you for listening to this episode. I also want to thank our hardworking employees and volunteers in the Team Clark Consumer Action Center who are here to answer your specific questions one-on-one for free. Available to you Monday through Friday. The times I'm going to give you are Eastern time zone times, 10 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon. To get one-on-one free advice, call 636-49-CLARK.